peace, namaste, and shalom. Everybody out there in dreamland, I am the beyond top secret Texan. Join me on my podcast, the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast, where I explore the outer limits of human abilities, top secret military technologies, the reality of extraterrestrial birth alliances, secret space wars, advanced cryptozoology, and all subjects of theosophic truth, esotericism, and the occult. Beyond the Top Secret Texan Podcast. Greetings, everybody out there in Dreamland. Namaste and Shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much for tuning into the broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan, and I am broadcasting to you from the third coast, the Gulf Coast, the coast with the most. And it's my pride and privilege to be doing so. Thank you, listeners, new and old. You are welcome to the archives of hundreds of episodes, both on podcast format and in video format as well as the thousands of dark web UFO evidence videos and paranormal videos, the best that the internet has to offer, all conveniently located on my social media, Twitter, on TikTok, and on Instagram, as well as Telegram for chatting services. You are all allowed... to fully enjoy all of them, but if you have a preference for any single one of them, why don't you go ahead and use Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan. Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan to find a directory where all of my relevant and up-to-date internet information can be found. All at one link, all convenient for you. Whether you want to browse uh, the the podcast episodes through podpage.com slash beyond top secret text on my pod page website. Whether you want to look at the videos and posts that I make daily on Instagram. Following the stories, following my reels, following the dank ass memes I post. Go ahead and do it. Saw the click of a link, and that is through Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan. Thank you all very much for liking and sharing, and following and subscribing. Hitting that bell for the notifying. Today we're going to be speaking and watching discussing and enjoying and basically learning from the channel on Rumble and Telegram that is the vehicle for the creator of these videos, the sharer of this insight knowledge, the researcher on military movements, mobilizations, as well as various other data sets indicative of an invisible war 
operating in deep underground military bases globally. That's right. The channel is called The Invisible War. Deep underground military bases. Dumbs. As we all know in this world, we are about it, about it. We are fully aware that dumbs are real. They number in the tens of thousands that are officially declared and known to exist. They exist underneath major metropolitan areas as well as in literally the middle of nowhere. They extend for miles and strongly theorized to be literally infinitely looped across the surface and underneath the oceans of the world to staggering thought impossible depths in self-contained yet artificial tunnels staging areas and complexes that are occupied as well as constructed sometimes by species that are not human beings but by various terrestrial ultra-terrestrial and extraterrestrial species the war deep underground has been going on for nearly the entirety of recorded history with technologies of the industrial age giving us a return to this battlefield with superiority in combat as I've spoken about at length on my channel I am a firm follower of this I have spoken about the nuclear weapon that was detonated under Yosemite National Park in order to flood an entire reptilian cavern city hive with the molten magma of the caldera located under Yosemite National Park I talked about the oceans that connect the east coast to the west coast that lie miles beneath the American surface. America floats, literally floats on a subterranean ocean. I have talked about the various urban wars and battlegrounds that have occurred and popped up throughout the country in very, very recent years, including Los Angeles, New York City, Washington, D.C., Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston. Gunfire is commonly reported where it shouldn't be and included in video evidence I have posted across my social media over the years. I myself am a witness and adherent to this phenomena as I have heard the distinct bone-rattling sounds of distant gunfire, artillery, 
as well as the flight of unexplained black helicopters, military vehicles, and assets across seemingly peaceful domestic fronts. We battle not only against the extraterrestrials, as mentioned in Phil Schneider's account of the Dulce Wars in 1976, for example, but also human beings of well-established, powerful factions and aristocratic lineages that are themselves global superpowers in terms of population, in terms of resource, wealth, and capital, as well as societal control. These shadow state entities have an incredible foothold and stronghold right beneath the feet of millions of human beings who don't even know they are real. That is truly the 1%. Farming the 99% as slaves. Every single Great Reset until the societies are able to mobilize, organize, and defy this parasitism, this cannibalism, this vampirism in all its forms. Absolutely, the deep underground military base situation is a complex and highly interesting concept, both in terms of mankind's further exploration and colonization into the subterranean domain, which would invariably also include the addition of our warfighting abilities and capabilities for human beings are truly a warrior race. And it is as important as extraterrestrial contact and outer space travel. The abilities to survive the extremely hostile environments as well as thrive in the already established artificial environments competing with other intelligences societies and cultures with their own militaries, their own weaponry, their own industry, their own cultures and heraldries and traditions that are peer to peer, if not superior, in this circumstance.
So yes, let's get into the Invisible War Deep Underground Military Bases, a creator I respect, videos that I respect, information that I respect. I only share what I respect. I only share what I expect my audience to know. And if they don't, I offer it to them so that they can learn. And I really wish I could have my screen showing right now. And I need software for that. I need an app for that. But I don't know what could work for Chrome. So if you have any suggestions, please leave them in the chat. I know a lot of people are more savvy and skilled at this whole live streaming bullshit, but I uh, usually predominantly record via podcast, and it records strictly through the audio. And those listening to the audio right now on my podcast, as I'm recording it, so that I can upload it, and you know you're hearing this in the future, this doesn't concern you. This is just an A-side to the chat room right now that's going on. And, but you can find these videos that are behind-the-scenes recordings via my YouTube currently. Because I am on a trend, on a little kick right now, where I like to record the actual uh, studio process, the actual recording process for these predominantly audio-only podcasts. And I think that's... Uh, pretty damn cool to be able to see basically the studio space see the process work out see me of course uh, you can always indulge in this man candy this absolute fucking stud of the beyond top secret Texan you can watch at your leisure slow that shit down speed that shit up whatever strokes your bone Ladies, YouTube is the place to watch these live streams. If you listen to this on the audio format, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm just pitching this to the uh, podcast listeners in the future. You know, you guys know that I am recording this. No, this, uh, you absolutely get this best of both worlds experience so yeah let's get into the invisible war this video is called the overview of those aliens we know of Uh, I would like to go on this uh, 
road trip because I want to visit my brother. His brother at the time was jailed in the south of Spain. And uh, he also wanted to visit uh, his father, which was a former diplomat from the Ukraine in Portugal. When his father retired, he, um, he retired. He stayed in Portugal. He decided not to go back to the Ukraine and stay there. So that was his idea, to go visit his brother and his father. And uh, because he knew I like road trips, I said, sure, let's go. So we went uh, visited his brother in jail in the south of Spain, and then we went to visit his father. We got there, and uh, there for a couple of hours, chit-chatting with his father, and then his father asked us uh, to, to clean out this room. He said, can you take out all the stuff that's there? And most of it is junk. Like, okay, we'll go there and help his father. He was an old man at the time. At the time he was, I think, 68 or 69. So we went there and we thought we'd find, you know, maybe four or five plastic bags of garbage. Instead, we found dozens and dozens and dozens of boxes with lots of documents and uh, loose papers and all kinds of stuff. So we, we started looking at it. Some of them were quite interesting because they had uh, the old USSR stamp, you know, the hammer and everything, and uh, this might have some historical interest. And um, so we went back to him and we asked if we could keep the boxes instead of chucking them. And uh, he said, sure. So we took the boxes home and um, we went through the boxes. And after a few months, because we only kept together, got together like two, three times a month, after a few months we came across the Jürgen Vesey's book. Uh, in fact, first we came across this page, the, the front page of a, uh, one of the editions of the Jürgen Vesey's book, dated 1951. But there was nothing to the, to the book, there was only the front page. Later we found uh, the book. Uh, we found out later that uh, the book has been edited several times, revised several times. Things have been added to it and, you know, made more modern and updated like that. And, well, he started reading it because uh, the book was in Russian and he is Ukrainian because he passed away. But uh, he was Ukrainian, so he knew Russian quite well. Uh, I didn't. So we started looking at it and what we did was you the he would translate uh, uh, from Russian to his Ukrainian, you know, and, and then he would talk to me in Italian or in Portuguese, because he speaks both and I speak both, and then I would start writing it in English. We, we found it curious, a curious read. We, at the time when we first found the book, we didn't contact his father right away. We just started looking at it, you know, what what was the source, you know? So we just started looking at it and reading. We didn't went through it in one day, went for a couple of pages, then the weekend after, a few more pages, until we called his father. Then when, that's when we started taking this subject more seriously. Because we, we called him and uh, he said, oh, that's where the book is. I didn't know, I forgot about it tried to find it, I couldn't find it, I thought I would maybe misplaced it, but uh, 
so you guys have it, so what you're doing with it, you know. So we start talking. And he, he told us lots of things that are written in the first pages of the book. We wrote uh, some notes there that uh, it was, in fact, a book uh, given to the Smash agents and, um, and that has been updated over and over again. Um, not only information, but the pictures and, and um, the people involved. And that's uh, how he ended up with it. Because before the collapse of the USSR, uh, he, had, he was involved with the, the Communist Party in Russia and the Ukraine. And that's how he, he uh, eventually got the book. And uh, apparently, uh, there were not a lot of people involved uh, with the book. Uh, the book was more of um, like a manual, a manual uh, so that they know what to do and they, they, for them to be informed of what they're dealing with and to add to it. That was their, their role, these MERSH agents. By what we know, there was only a very, very few agents that were part of this project and um, that were uh, that have this book with them at all times to investigate every every case any sighting any any incident involving uh, there's even one example right at the beginning of the book that uh, of one incident of these uh, girls that disappeared so they wanted um, the heads of the smears wanted these officers secret agents to uh, investigate every incident that kind of uh, related to that incident where the girl disappeared because uh, as far as we know this was still in the beginning of alien investigation so they, they weren't exactly sure of what they're dealing with so they just wanted to gather any kind of information add and add to the book at the time well we started translating it uh, maybe early 2009, little by little, and then uh, I had uh, a YouTube channel, not this one that I have now, a previous one that was deleted, but I posted a video one day last year around 4 in the morning, uh, at the time I didn't have any uh, uh, copyright warnings or anything on my, on my channel, and I posted a video about it. Um, showing um, the original book, pages of the original book, because we have the original, posted a video around 4 in the morning. Uh, I watched it, uh, the views going up, and when the views were at about 150 views, I fell asleep, I went to bed. About uh, two hours later, I came back and the, the, the channel had been deleted. The week prior to my channel being deleted, I received a, a few, uh, um, I don't know who the person was, I received uh, uh, some emails from someone, I know it was in a Nordic country, but I don't know which one, I, saw, I received these emails of people saying that uh, the Canadian Armed Forces have been uh, checking out my channel, uh, reading my stuff, that they were hacking into my channel, the Canadian Armed Forces. and. Uh, not the Americans, not the Chinese, not the Russians, the Canadians. And um, so that was interesting. And then the channel got deleted. That 
changed me the most was the, friend that, uh, the, the fact that uh, Pedro died in a car accident while uh, we were going to meet and talk about uh, the Alien Races book and he was bringing me the original and, uh, and he died in a car accident. So that's the thing that marked me the most because I lost a good friend because of this. We planned to meet uh, at a certain place around 7, I think, or 7 a.m. And uh, I got uh, there a bit late and there was a big commotion. There was the police there and there was a car upside down and uh, I found out eventually that was him. I approached the car and uh, I checked the car. The police was there, so I couldn't uh, really uh, do a big investigation like CSI, you know. But um, I, I identified myself and said I'm a, I'm a good friend and he has no family here, so I'm the only person he has around here. And um, if I could have a look in the car, and one of the officers led me and the book was gone, the original. I'm not saying that it's uh, someone killed him or caused that accident in order to steal the book. There's many ways to steal things that come up with an accident. Hopefully you die in an accident, you know, but uh, it's just strange that someone took it, that's all. Uh, there's uh, two races mentioned in the book and um, we, that uh, were, the, according to the book, were the inspiration for the alien race that's on the on the movie Independence Day. Um, we showed them, and we we, we um, decided to publish it like that, and, and people can decide. They update the book often, and they use uh, images from other be some are drawings from witnesses to describe one uh, any given race, you know, one race, and so they use images from alien races from movies, video games, and sometimes, you know, obviously, just the, the drawings from witnesses. Um, now, one of those races that is mentioned as the inspiration for the Independence Day alien race as an image that is quite recent. But uh, the other one is um, eight years uh, older than the, the Independence Day uh, movie. That's the info on that. First of all, uh, like I said, there were many, many boxes that we got, I think 58 or 59 boxes. And uh, we know that a lot of the documents in those boxes have things that are related to alien activity. A lot of, a lot of other papers that are there have nothing to do. There's papers there that are just like a, an order for someone to buy caviar for some meeting, you know, um, but some are uh, about uh, aliens and UFO activity, but we never, we have maybe, we translated maybe what, 2% of the papers that are there. I started looking more and more and more, not only on the internet, but uh, going to uh, libraries and trying to have, uh, to confirm some of the dates, the events that are on the book confirm with other literature, you know, other information. And uh, the, um, the interesting thing, what is one of the things that I found most important, is that um, not too long ago, recently, uh, in South America, these archaeologists found uh, these pottery, pieces of pottery that they put together, and this is in South America. Well, the, that those pieces show Sumerian 
design. See? Not South American, nothing to do with Mayan or Aztecs or none of, none of those Indo-American uh, uh, civilizations, but Sumerian uh, style uh, drawings and um, images on the pottery. But not only that, on the sides of the, the, the pottery, there's a, a, a word that keeps on coming up, which is the word Kurs, K-U-R-S. Well, uh, the alien races book mentions a race called Kurs, K-U-R-S. And these, these pieces of pottery were found after I started uh, releasing information about the book. So these pieces of pottery confirm that at least one of those races that nobody has ever heard before until I start publishing information about the book does exist. What people call Anunnaki, that the book calls Anunnakene, uh, uh, work close together with this race, Kurs. Yeah. And, um, and not only the race Kurs, but uh, with the race uh, uh, Zeta Reticuli, which uh, most people think uh, Zeta Reticuli are the greys, but according to the book, they are not. The greys are another race called Solipsi Rai. Uh, yeah, that's what the book says. When I first started publishing information, I made a video a while ago showing was seven races and uh, immediately uh, well not immediately but about six weeks later I started getting uh, uh, messages from publishing companies and over a period of uh, what, a year and a half uh, we got approached uh, by, by email of course uh, by 12 or 13 uh, publishing companies uh, asking if we were interested in publishing the, the book with them Two or three of those made concrete offers. I think the first offer was about $5,000, then another one offered $12,000, and finally uh, one offer about $30,000. That's it. Uh, we, we, we thought about it, uh, not because of the money, but because we thought that the a publishing company has uh, other tools to publicize the book and the information that we didn't have. A publishing company could expose um, this information must, mm, at, uh, at a higher uh, uh, radius, you know, could, could make this worldwide event fast, because sometimes books go viral fast, eh? like a video. But, and we didn't, we, we just had two, we were just two guys translating this, and hopefully we'd make some uh, videos on YouTube. Uh, showing this information, but the problem, we, we talked about it and we thought, well, it would be a good idea for a company like this to publish the book, however, uh, there's some problems. Uh, first, once we allow them to do that, I'm sure that we'd have to, you know, uh, sign a lot of documents to, for them to have the, the copyright to the book, and uh, what could happen? They could change the content of the book or maybe the company could change hands and then they would uh, drop off the, the project, they would not publish the Alien Races book and then we couldn't either because we gave them the, the, the right, you know, to publish the book. So 
uh, we thought, well, no, because if we lose control of this, then this might never see the, the light of day, you know. First and foremost, it's uh, the Russian government. Whatever they, this book has been uh, written and updated and uh, re-edited since the USSR days, since the 1940s. When the USSR collapsed, everything now belongs to the Russian government. So obviously it will be the Russian government. Having said that, the images that are on the book, not all of them, of course, but some of them, they, didn't, they don't have the copyright because they, they took them from video games or movies, you know. But I don't think they're very worried about that. <laughs> they just put whatever, plus the book is not supposed to be uh, public. So the copywriting, uh, copyrights was not a, a, an issue for them if the book was not supposed to be public. Uh, so obviously, yeah, that uh, belongs to the Russian government. Having said that, uh, right now, uh, there's two European countries that I cannot enter over this. And, uh, and I was already approached, it was about a year ago, they're Eastern European countries. Because I was warned <laughs> not to go there because of the Andres's book and what, I'm, what, I, what I did. Uh, this came through Petro, uh, Petro's family. They live in the Ukraine and uh, someone uh, uh, approached uh, Petro's cousin, Petro's family, and they left some, some, some notes, let's see, there's the rumor from one of Petro's cousins that there's actually uh, an arrest warrant for, for me. I don't know what the grounds are. I've heard it was copywriting, I don't know. There were hundreds of uh, uh, notes on the book, on the sides. Some were written right on the book. Uh, others were attached to the book by clips or uh, stapled to the book. Uh, also photos, some original photos, and we had to choose. We didn't want to, the book to be like uh, the size of the Old Testament. We wanted it to be something that would uh, uh, be accessible and not scary for people. And when people see a, a really fat book, they lose the interest. <laughs> We're in the age of uh, videos, not books, you know? So we wanted it to be something, just the, 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 the most important information. Of course, the whole book is there, you know, I published the whole book, but when it comes to notes, just what was most important to us to, to show. And uh, now the rest of the notes, well, maybe, maybe one day. People ask me that a lot. I believe because the provenance of the book is good, the people uh, involved are serious people, and um, so I believe now, I never said that uh, the old information in, in the book is real. I don't know. I'm just showing you what's in the book. The book exists. The book is real. The people involved in this book are not lying, and they exist, and they are real, and they are serious. Now, if everything that's in the book is real, I don't know. I don't know. I believe it is. Many people do, but everyone can read the book now for free. and make up their minds. Uh, since I published the book, there are many websites out there and Facebook pages and all kind, in all kinds of places that uh, claim to be me and they're asking for donations, saying that I, you know, they're trying to pass for, for me, eh? Uh, so they ask for donations, they answer questions, 
as if it was me, and people believe it was me because they know all everything about me, you know, from my channel. So, to be very clear, there's only three ways you can contact me and know for sure that you're talking with me. One is by phone if I give my phone number to you. Uh, the other one is by email, and by my email address is on the book on one of the first pages, or on my YouTube channel. All right, and that was basically him talking about his reproduction of a book that was given to him by the Russian uh, special police, secret police, referencing the extraterrestrials colonizing or visiting Earth to help them with their jobs of controlling not only the subject, the truth, and those extraterrestrials themselves. Here's another video that was posted on this site. The Galactic Confederation, The Great Experiment on Earth, Part 1. Greetings, Divine Ones. The power of Ra, the Galactic Confederation, and why the Great Experiment on Earth was created. Part 1. The first humans were Lyran and Syrian in our universal matrix bubble. Conflict broke out in the cradle of Lyra, the Lyran constellation, between the negatively polarized Orion races and the Lyrans. This led to heavy and long drawn out conflict which we know as the Orion Wars, which is what the Star Wars movie series is about. The Orion slash Draco invaded the Lyran system corrupting their social memory complex and in the process 50 million souls were lost in the destruction of three planets, Bela, Tika, and Merrick. The negative Orion slash Draco faction sided with the Dark, Black Sun, Empire which were 95% oriented towards the service to self-polarity whilst the Lyran slash Syrians followed the law of one and the rays, ray, ra, of light that were of a service to others slash unity consciousness. Christ is a shortened version of Christos that translates as man and human which means the light of man. Man is ra, the pathway to the light. The universal matrix conforms to the light cube, ra, and dark cube, Satan to form the YHVH duality matrix. The YHVH metatronic grid gives beings the choice to choose their consciousness via the flower of life sacred geometry held within our DNA blueprint. In Gematria YHVH equates to 26, Y equals 10, H equals 5, V equals 6, H equals 5, as does man, M equals 1, A equals 12, and equals 13. 26 divided into the two polarities gives you 13. The thirteenth portal is the gateway back to either the light of God, Golden Dawn via the heart, or the false god, of the Clefoth, depending on what path you choose to walk in your evolutionary soul journey. Twenty-six condensed down in numerology gives you eight by adding the two and six together. Eight is the symbol for infinity which connects to the eighth dimensional portal of Orion that holds the library of all things, infinite Taurus of the Akashic Records data field, and connects to the black hole void portal of God, Hunabku. 8 also aligns to the 8 points that connect up to the light and dark 3D cube of our reality, Kabbalah tree of life slash death, that holds our vibrations through the 3 dimensions of height, width, and depth. The 144 vibrations within Metatron's cube contains the full spectrum of light and dark that can be separated by the 4 elements and pillars, earth, water, fire, and air, of the square-shaped geometry, 2D, to use for positive or negative purposes. Light cube equals 4, Dark cube equals 4 connected to the one infinitive creator through the ether equals 144. 
144 divided by 2 equals 72. 72 light vibrations, God of light 7 plus 2 equals 9. 9 the dimension of God and the higher self slash higher mind, and 72 dark vibrations, false God self and ego lower self slash lower mind. The dark Orion Empire commanding forces were known as Sith Lords or Dominator Victimizers. The Orion resistance known as the Black League fought against the Empire but many of them fell to darkness or became enslaved by the Dominators. Some of the members of the resistance were Rei, Ra, masters of the light that held potent dragon energy, Kimura dragons, but still managed to become corrupted through killing in dualistic battles, thus heavily shifting their vibrations to alter their states of consciousness towards the negative polarity. The Dark Orion Empire used victimizer mind technology also referred to as Armageddon software to hijack beings of light, submitting them to darkness and slavery through deep fear holographic implants slash destructive false memories seated in the unconscious mind. The Draco Reptilians and their Orion allies on Rigel used their advanced war weaponry and mind control technology to infiltrate and enslave native inhabitants in 21 star systems. The Lyrans and Vegans were a peaceful human and feline civilization that developed agriculture on several planets and thrived in their service to others' mentality. They weren't expecting the attacks from the Reptilians but even whilst unprepared, still they fought back. Some of the wars lead to a truce between certain Reptilian and human-slash-feline groups which saw them cohabitate with one another peacefully and even started interbreeding. This is how I believe the cat-slash-feline species got the Reptilian-eye genetics as a result of this hybridization. These were the reptilian factions that managed to break away from the Empire and choose their own path, Kalisk and Morkel. The tyranny of the Orion onslaught grew too powerful for the Lyrans to handle and so they fled Lyra to colonize new human civilizations on other planets such as Actress, the Pleiades, Cygnus Alpha, Antares, Cassiopeia, Alpha Centauri, and Andromeda to name a few. Humans spread across 110 different star systems, developing their own spiritual practices and technologies in their new evolutionary cycles. The original Lyran refugees fled to the Zenitai star system in the Andromedon galaxy. Lyra is the twelfth gate that connects directly to Andromeda. When Lyra was taken over and partly destroyed, in the process of its fall, its natural Christ, Christ, codes and crystal architecture of eternal living light became reversed and locked into the Milky Way system to feed the black cube matrix and negative entities. The Metatronic Collective tried to repair this distortion but sadly were unsuccessful and got absorbed into the AI matrix. This only made the black hole to Abaddon more powerful for the dark entities to maneuver in and pass through to our universe and strengthen the dark alliances of Orion and its empire. Luckily now, this is changing thanks to the Aquiferian Shield Collective who consist of 12 Andromedon tribes who have energetically connected the 12 pillar halls of Zion with the help of the 12 children of the Law of One, currently incarnated in human form on Earth, to move Adam, man, into his slasher next consciousness activation cycle and override the darkness as we move into the fourth density of love and light. The twelve children are those who were originally chosen to lead humanity forward in Atlantis by Inki slash Thalon, holding the keys to the twelve portals on Earth to establish the new 5D dodecahedron matrix grid which we are currently merging with. They are the Ra and portal keepers of Orion's belt that are unblocking the eighth portal access to Orion allowing for the twelfth portal of the planetary gates and the Aquiferian shield Kundalini energy to flow through to us to give us new life forces. This includes unblocking negative distortions in our pineal gland, pituitary glands, hypothalamus, and other parts of the brain which were previously keeping us asleep and feeding our life forces to the negative astral entities in the fourth dimension. This is all part of retrieving the lost 12 DNA strands in the 12 tree of life grid template. Elon Musk betrayed the light forces in Andromeda by switching sides, assisting the Draco reptilians in the AI Abaddon infiltration takeover.
This is why in his current incarnation he has disguised some of his SpaceX rocket activity as space exploration ventures when in fact he is sending more weapons targeted at Andromeda to disrupt the Aquifarian shield network. Their work is blocking the path for Musk to collect more transhuman and artificial grid AI technology from his reptilian allies on Mars in order to slow down the 5D transition and take as many souls with him before the final transition takes place. The 110 human colonies that branched off from Lyra joined together to create the Galactic Federation of Light and learnt as a collective unit how to repel and diffuse reptilian hostility and invasions. They are assisting in allowing these new positive energies to flow through the portals without interference. The darkness is now trapped and the new blueprint is locked in place. To be continued. Okay, excellent. And now we're going to go to uh, video two. The second part of that Galactic Confederation, the Grand Experiment Explained. Experiment Explained. Part 2. This article follows on from Part 1. This is about the Syrian and Reptilian Alliance. The demons in Psalms are lions and dragons. This derives from the ancient rivalry between the Syrian Empire and the Reptilian Empire in Orion. The dominant Reptilian race called the Cave rose to power in the Draco and Orion constellations with the elite warrior class known as the Neck. These beings were called the Black Ones slash Black Kings. They had horns coming from their skulls along with black eyes, they represented the dark unholy feminine energy through their reptilian queen Aya. This is where the Baphomet network gets its associations to demons and the horned devil. It really is a representation of the dark nature of the Draco Cabe. Cabe, Baal. Baal means ruler. The queen of the reptilian race, Aya utilized pharmakia which is black magic through the use of artificial altering drugs to enhance the ruthlessness of her warriors and to turn them more satanic and psychopathic by nature. That is essentially what is being implemented on earth in humans now, you know what this is. It is a deletion of the Pleiadian empathy gene AN that was put in Adam by Inki, the chief Pleiadian slash Syrian genetist alongside Ninma. Removing this gene which makes us essentially compassionate humans creates severe complications in the body. The bioscientists of the cave were called the SSS which is why we associate snakes with the S hissing sound. The drugs they created were given to the Assassin, an elite reptilian warrior class, which is where the term assassin originates from. These warriors would be the guards to the reptilian queen. The SSS scientists or Mac engineered a substance for the elite class and the queen to extend their lifespans which contained special proteins in the blood of warm-blooded creatures. They called this Esma, because the reptilians need life force energy due to their low vibration, as vampires they need to feed off of others with the opposite polarity so they can live without disease in their negative states. The narcissist slash empathy dynamic is a spiritual representation of this process here on earth. In physical terms, this is referred to as harvesting ad. Ren Zero, Chrome. Black, Goo. GLE Chrome is the carbon 666 dividing the four elements, in its logo, with the central element depicting water representing the human in the occult, lion, ox, eagle, and human. The evil iron, eye, on the prize. The water represents the water in our blood. Rolls information data to encode DNA through our blood to keep us in the matrix allowing for fourth dimensional entities, reptilians slash demons, to feed off of our life forces.
the reptilians were technologically superior in almost every way in comparison to the rest of the universe. The queen was often referred to as her supreme majesty or the divine queen Kar, in reference to Aya who gave herself the title of the architect of the universe and the manifestation of the grand creatrix through the great void, the ninth dimension of God. Khan, Kar, to conquer. They originally came into our universe by harvesting and utilizing the energy of trillions of souls to move through the black hole of the void into our world using sun technology. This is being reproduced on Earth through the Large Hadron Collider to open up portals to form new realities and access parallel worlds slash timelines. The reptilians used force when they needed to but most of the time, saved their energy and military assets by engaging first in severe intimidation tactics. They did this by enforcing mind control programs developed by the MKH scientists, MKH, MKUltiaret, to inject terror into the opposition. Most species were dominated and became compliant to the Empire through the Draco Victimizer Armageddon software without the need for physical war until they encountered the Syrians at the Ninth Passageway or Peshmet. These Syrians, not all Syrians, were called Wolfen Kings. The term wolf comes from the savage nature of the beings that came from the Dog Star or Canis Major which is where Anubis originates from. Some were a ruthless lion, maned species with an ancient canine ancestry. They became known as the golden-maned ones and the reptiles referred to them as the R. These beings were equally as selfish and power-driven as the reptilian empire. They created the term One World Empire, and anyone who would question their elite class authority would be killed or jailed on their home planets. This influence runs through to our world today in the form of a tyrannical totalitarian society which is being broken now as we shift into the fourth density consciousness. The Syrian Wolfen kings were very powerful both physically and intellectually. They were extremely intimidating when engaging in physical violence and took on an unholy masculine berserker archetype to install fear into their enemies, they were severely imbalanced in their feminine energy. It wasn't uncommon for the soldiers to eat some of their victims on the battlefield to intimidate enemies that hadn't already fled. Technologically wise, they learned how to hollow out asteroids and use them as weapons as well as vehicles. This is where we get the term Death Star in Star Wars as it was used to infiltrate other star systems negatively. The external appearance would often fool their selected prey target when entering into enemy territories. The moon is an example of this technology which Marduk would later inherit with his Draco fallen angel followers, Wolfen Prince. These beings are also referred to as seekers because of their desire to go to other star systems and take resources for the benefit of not only building their own empire but to repair their atmosphere on their home planets. This was mainly because their planets orbiting three suns in their own solar system caused a tremendous amount of radiation damage to their DNA and environment. Seekers had to constantly find a new supply of minerals to repair the damage. Gold nanoparticles helped achieve this and hence why the golden nectar, monatomic gold, was used to alchemize the gods to an immortal state. Another term used for these seekers and refugees were the Anunnaki. The Wolfen Kings and the Reptilian Queen leading the Orion Empire encountered one another when these Syrians were passing through the Ninth Passageway. The Reptilian Queen admired the brutality and masculine energy of the Wolfen King tribes. It was something her forces lacked, her best soldiers were actually female and they were absolutely terrifying. Aya needed a strong masculine force to further solidify her growing empire which these Syrian kings could provide to her. The queen therefore sent out the invitation to form an alliance with the Syrians in which the Wolfen warriors accepted. However, as time went on, the queen used intimidating tactics on these Syrian factions, eventually using death ray technology to kill a few of the commanders and force them into total submission to her empire. Betrayal is at the core of the corrupted Draco, they only understand loyalty if it is to them. 
The Wolfen kings who complied with the Queen's demands were given reptilian armies to take charge of once official alliance documents has been signed. They were to collect materials for the Orion Empire as well as use these materials to send back to their own home planets. It was fair deal in both parties' eyes in exchange for a new workforce. The spaceports and pyramids on Earth would connect up to the Orion portals to allow this transportation of materials to be shipped over efficiently. Inlil, Wolfen King, was in charge of the Draco hybrid Igigi race that were used as slaves to mine for gold, copper, and other minerals on Earth and on Mars. Marduk his nephew was assigned the post of commanding the RH, Igigi on Mars who later invaded Earth and defied his uncle via his Luciferian rebellion. This lead to the famous dualistic battle outlined in the Bible between God and Lucifer. The fallen angels that followed Marduk slash Azazel to Earth infected the human gene pool by interbreeding with us against Enlil's will. The O, original dragon, blood of the Igigi slash Draco would ultimately alter the Christ consciousness codes in Noah and his son Shemzaband bloodline that was the blueprint to move humanity forward in the great experiment. To be continued. Alright, excellent. And I don't think that there is a part three to that video. At least not on the invisible wars and dumbs and underground bases. But there are other incredible videos available on this Rumble account. They go into great detail around subjects involving the SSP, specifically the relevant subjects to a breakaway civilization and a war for truth, as well as a physical war currently happening both in outer space as well as in the subterranean domains. Now, they also have a telegram, and I follow the telegram, as well as I run several proxy sites that educate on these subjects, as well as direct to other educational materials. Much like me, they are a researcher and investigator putting as much third-party open domain information on their channel as they can. So it's all in one convenient location, and the channel is called The Invisible War in Dumbs and Underground. So now this next video is going to be called Lizard People from the Tribe of Dan. Lizards, Shapeshifters, Vrillers, and Reptos. establishment, particularly the Area 51, uh, the, the disasters that are coming, they, the, the military, I'm sorry, the, the government knows about them, and there's a lot of safe areas in this world that they could begin moving the population to now, Art. Today we've had a national tragedy. Dragons have invaded Dave and Buster. Everybody off today, huh? You don't understand. Your world's gonna end. What the hell are you?
see it. Uh, there's a lot of compilations of transformations and metamorphoses. Transforming on camera. Hallucinations. Aggressive, violent behavior. Cannibalism and self-mutilation. Discriminate violence. When Flocka takes over, we And that's definitely worth a watch. And definitely worth me screen recording and posting later on my own channels. For the high quality reptilian transformations in that video. Just browsing right now, looking for some videos to share. Great selection of videos on Tartaria. Excellent clip videos. U.S. Special Forces encountered giants in Antarctica. You heard it here first. It was the early 2000s, right around the same time as the Kandahar Giant, when a team of Navy SEALs was called to Antarctica. Their mission was to plunge deep into the ice shelf and explore ruins recently discovered by ground-penetrating radar. Upon arrival at the site, they would be begin their descent down a large pre-drilled hole that would open up into a cavern. As soon as their boots hit the ground, they would quickly realize the cavern was actually a massive megalithic structure. The structures were thousands of years old, and they believed them to be built by the ancient builder race, the same ones that built the pyramids. Amazed, they began exploring, eventually stumbling upon a large door. One of the seals would approach the door and touch it with his hand. To their surprise, it began shifting, almost as if powered by anti-gravity. The 30-foot door would move back and to the side, letting them into the corridor. In utter disbelief, they decide to split up into groups of two. They cautiously make their way around the room, noticing hieroglyphs of which they had never seen before. As they sweep the area, senses heightened, one of the men yells, Guys, come look at this! As the rest of the team approaches this portion of the structure, they instantly notice the super-advanced tech. And their comrades staring at a large crystal chamber. They brush a layer of frost off that has accumulated over thousands of years. And inside, they see it. It's approximately 14 to 16 feet tall. Its massive frame towering over the men. Its eyes still open with a fierce look on its face, almost as if it's staring at them. The warm blood running through their veins turns cold. As it is said, when a soldier first experiences these beings, it changes them. They will never be the same, but some take it better than others. It is reported that some soldiers lose their head completely upon sight. They simply cannot handle it. They have to back out. Others' hair has turned completely gray in an instant. They are simply that afraid. As they're pondering over what they're looking at, one of the soldiers says, Guys, check it out. They look over, and two of the chambers have already been broken through. These crystal chambers had them in a stasis, and they are now waking up. That's when the lead seal yells out, All right, fellas, you know what time it is. On me. 
They hastily start swapping out the cliffs on their assault rifles. They've come prepared, as if they already knew what they were going to encounter. The rounds in these new magazines were something special. They weren't regular hollow point lead. They were actually made of pure copper. As the military and the Pentagon knew that pure copper is the only thing that kills these beasts. Using anything else is futile and will not hurt them. As they're finally getting locked and loaded, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they hear a cry. And no sooner do they turn around, one of the beasts flies from behind a megalith. It grabs one of the soldiers and slams him to the ground, killing him instantly. The second beast jumps from a ledge above, landing on another, squishing him to a pulp. Fire, fire, fire! They open up. The beasts run through the bullets as if they don't even touch them. The rest of the men scramble to take cover. They slide to cover and look back. They're gone. They move throughout the corridor swiftly and silently. So after shooting the giants with the pure copper rounds, they can tell it had an effect. They were slowed enough for the team to take cover behind a monument. And when they peek back around the edge to see where they're at, the giants are gone. So after taking a moment to gather themselves, they start heading down the opposite direction of the corridor. They stay within cover of the pillars running down the entire walkway, and they cover ground fairly quickly. They've covered probably close to a quarter mile. This cavern is huge. When suddenly they hear the two giants cry out, they turn around, and there they stand, in the middle of the corridor. They begin trotting towards them and then full-on sprint. They're coming for them. The seals begin to engage their targets again. This time, they don't walk through it. They begin to slow in their run and eventually fall to the ground. The copper rounds work, and before long, they're laying there breathless. A sense of relief swarms over the team, but it was short-lived. As soon as the other two dropped, another cry. It was the third giant. It was out of its stasis. Move, move, move. The seals turn and begin running. They look back, see the giant running towards them, and continue. They can hear his footsteps, and then they just stop, and they turn to see where he's at. He's gone. It seems as if though he's almost playing with his food. They see another large doorway at the end of the hall, probably another quarter mile up. They're glancing around, looking for the giant. They can't see him. Then, as they're passing a section with large monuments on each side, one of the soldiers in the very back lets out a blood-curdling cry. The giant appears as if a blur from one side of the hallway to the other, and on the way through, he grabs another soldier. So he seems preoccupied with the said soldier for a little bit, grabbing his first out-of-stasis meal. The team approaches the doorway, and again, it's being blocked off by a large stone slab. One of the soldiers notices a cutout in the rock wall, and they press it. It begins moving. The giant hears it. He looks up and starts their way, moving swiftly. Hold him off, fellas. Let's go. The team engages the target again. At this point, there's only three or four of them left, and the giant's running through the bullets as if they're nothing. It's not looking good when the group lead throws his gun down and reaches for a pouch on his vest. At this point, the door has finally slid open. It's within feet, and they dart through. They dart through. The lead soldier turns around and chucks a grenade through the doorway. It's full of copper bearings. Take cover! They step behind the wall. The grenade goes off. Dozens of bearings hit the giant. He finally drops. They turn around to a massive cave system. They can't believe the size. They figure its total width is a couple miles. It is believed that the giants themselves and whoever created them had bored a tunnel. This tunnel ran from Antarctica all the way up to the Northwest Territories in Canada. They supposedly have a plasma drill that can drill up to seven miles a day. This is what they use for travel. This large tunnel has smaller tunnels branching off of it, leading through the mountains. Likely where all the missing hikers end up. The soldiers would eventually find their way to the surface, contact command. Most of them never spoke of it again. Very, very neat little retelling of an account from the special forces encountering giants in stasis, such as Gilgamesh, when they recover from Gilgamesh's tomb.
Here is one. The truth about stargates. so short as it ends too soon but excellent uh, subject matter to lead us into this next video the truth about the devil and demons now to put this passage of revelation into context following the vision of the seven seals which was revealed to John on the island of Patmos was the revelation of the seven trumpets. And John saw seven angels with seven trumpets. As each of them blew their trumpets, one after another, there were several cataclysmic events on earth. The revelation of the seven trumpets brings to light the events, which are to mark the last days. The focus of study today is on the fifth trumpet. What happened when it was blown by the angel? The significance of what the trumpet and the lessons believers should learn from it. The ninth chapter of the book of Revelation shows us a remarkable view in the spirit world. In this chapter we see the spirit world spilling over into our world. The ninth chapter 
is probably one of the most controversial chapters in the Bible. This chapter reveals two, to us the readers, two frightening armies that were liberated to cause havoc, the army from the pit and the army from the east. But we are going to focus on the army from the pit, the bottomless pit. A great deal of controversy amongst biblical scholars surrounds Revelation 9, 1 through 12. The sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came some scholars arguing that this is a description of literal locusts that have come out of the bottomless pit, a description of a demon portal that is literally open on the earth. Others argue that what comes out of the pit are the decomposing souls of the unsaved. Other scholars argue that this is a description of fighter helicopters that John saw. And because of his time, the only thing he could relate to it was locusts. Others believe it is an army of demons that come out of the pit that can only be described as locusts. Revelation 9, 1 through 12. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit. And there arose a smoke out of the pit, and as the smoke of a great furnace, and out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, and the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion. And he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were as it were crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. And they had their hair as the hair of women. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates. And it were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. But in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past. And behold, there come two woes more hereafter. John, the man who was shown what will happen in the end time, on the island called Patmos, saw something spectacular. He saw that the things that come out of the bottomless pit have a leader, a king that rules over them, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. This story did not start here. 
We must have been hearing about this name called Apollyon. There have been short movies and videos that have been made entitled Apollyon. We must have also heard of Apollyon the Destroyer before. We may know of this name, but many of us don't know who or what bears this name. We don't know the power of the entity bearing this name. We don't have the idea of what the entity will do. Many people have believed that this particular being that John talked about was Satan himself. They believed that it was another name for Satan because of the title that was given to this angel, the Destroyer. But Apollyon could not be Satan, and I will explain why. Starting from what led to this part of the Bible, John was seeing trumpets sounded by angels and things were happening. As the trumpet sounded, each trumpet presents a disaster worse than the disaster that preceded it. The fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets are called the three woes. The fifth trumpet was sounded by the fifth angel, and something happened. Revelation 9-1, and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him it was given the key of the bottomless pit. John saw a star fall from heaven. This same star was given a key to the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is a place that can only be described as a place of detention for the wicked angels or the demon world. If we remember another thing John said about this bottomless pit, it is a place where Satan himself would be locked for a thousand years. We see this in Revelation 20, verse 3, here. This pit in Revelation 9, the pit is locked, but someone was given a key to open the bottomless pit. John said a star fell from heaven, and it was given the key to the bottomless pit. We were made to know that this star was a being, and the word he, the uses the word he, to indicate that it was a being. The exact identity of this being who was given the keys is not known. Some argue it is Satan himself who was given the key and others argue it is an angel. The exact identity of this star is not explicitly stated. After the star was given the key, what did he do? The Bible says that he opened the bottomless pit. After he opened it, some locusts that looked like scorpions came out of the pit. The leader of these things was described in Revelation 9:11, whose name is Abaddon in Hebrew and then Apollyon in Greek meaning the destroyer. The first thing we know about this Apollyon being is that he is locked up in the bottomless pit, waiting to be freed. He is probably one of the lead angels of Satan. Imagine an angel leading a swarm of locusts. Just as holy angels have ranks, fallen angels also have ranks. And in this verse we learn of a fallen angel who isn't mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. He is a fallen angel who is bound in the bottomless pit with these demonic creatures 
the Destroyer. We don't know his origin or what his initial duties were, but we do know he will one day be released. He has the power to control demonic spirits, and he was given the power to destroy. Apollyon was made the king of legions of the evil spirit that appeared like locusts having the powers of scorpions. These things all came from a place called the Bottomless Pit. This should make us know one of the things that are in this place called the Bottomless Pit. It houses demons, angels of Satan, and all kinds of spirits that these angels control. There must be more angels like Apollyon in this pit. But what we are concerned about is the Apollyon who was given the power to destroy the earth. The reality of seducing spirit. I was watching a video on YouTube and a girl was questioning a Christian, asking him, why has church attendance across the nation decreased over the last 60 years? She implied... No, I think this goes into the realm of succubi, but... It's important to understand and bridge the concepts of this religious aspect of it with a real physical force, an army, a race, a species that does exist primarily in the subterranean world. Trying to find a sufficiently different video. Alright. Cloning. How they make clones. Cloning since 1918, 1938, they started making Hitler clones. If you go to Disney World, for instance, down there in the Haunted Mansion, you see the hologram, right? Oh, you know how to make a hologram. Well, our scientists have learned how to make people. They call them synthetics. Are you familiar with those? Um, well, actually, we just interviewed John Laird. He was talking about being in an audience in which they were given a lecture by a guy that they thought was real and found out later was he was a hologram. It's a synthetic. A synthetics, when you touch their skin, it feels like uh, plastic almost. That's the latest technique. The old, the old techniques. Uh, you guys can rent a video. Uh, the boys from Brazil rent it because in it, it gives you the exact way how our government's been making people. Really? Yeah. Well, and the on. Soviets have a different method called. I mean, making people meaning temporary people? No, walking, talking ones. Meaning through genetics? You're not talking about that? Well, let me tell you. Let me. Uh, the movie shows it, but I'll share it with you right now. All right. All I need to do is take two cells off of your body, yours. Uh-huh. 
you give them a small electrical charge. I'm just convinced it don't want to act like a fertilized egg. If I got a fertilized egg, all I need is a receiver in order to make it. So they were hypnotizing women, you know, said they were being invaded by aliens. And the fetus starts growing, right? It's food. But they can use cows and sheep, too. It's again, a food source. That's all we need. After about 14 weeks, all of a sudden, that fetus is gone. Because they've learned to take, that's when the fetus starts developing its own blood supply then they've used a pituitary hormone extract that they have which accelerates the being that grows. And the original technology was given to our government by the grace. Now, the reason was, because our scientists are all excited, because we could have spare parts. If you need a heart or a liver or anything, you won't have any rejection. It's your own DNA, right? Okay, because theoretically, if we have overpopulation, we don't need more people, right? That's, but the so-called elite are selecting on who they want to have around anyway, so if we want to keep people going as long as we can. I, I talked to the doctor that was working on uh, regeneration of Castro, for instance. Right. On the DNA sequencing. And, that, and they're just learning about this. Well, I, my understanding is that a lot of presidents have already been replaced. That's right. Yeah, I don't think they're think, walking around. They look old, but they basically uh, some well, of the people are I'll give you something to ponder. Get some old videos of George Bush. This when he first came into office. Look at the person and listen to him speak. Look at his actions and listen to his everything that's there. Now it's a lot easier to put somebody out in front to act as a you know even Bush did. He had somebody else that was up there acting like he doesn't look like it. Even Hitler had a you know he had his stand. In fact, his stand-in was the one that they found in the in the ground over in Germany. I mean Hitler and Eva and the dog and. Fourteen other people got aboard a plane and flew down to Barcelona, Spain. You were aware of that. And then ended up in Antarctica or in Swabenland and then died a few years ago in Brazil. That's what we heard. That's well, I, got we a, heard. I have all the documents from our own government. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we have a contact. One of Stalin our even. Uh, Stalin asked for the, you know, they tried to burn the body and he got the body back. And he said, we're in a different years and, and the um, testicles were different and everything else. So they knew it wasn't Hitler. But is it a clone or not? Oh, now you know going by cloning. Cloning techniques... Uh, since 38, we've been, 1938, they've been making clone people. There's eight countries making clones. I have a doctor okay, friend that all of them treat the clones. Where do you get your information? I get it from some of the people that are willing to come forth, and they talk to me because they hope I'll put the information out because they, they always got two people following them and they need to be killed. If I start talking about cloning too much, the people that get involved into that, uh, you disappear on it, so I don't go into too many more details. But there are inform there is information that's available, and it, more and more of that is coming online. I just told you go rent the uh, the movie. Okay, voice from Brazil. Yeah, and you'll see the whole technique on what they they show it to you in different places, so you you can imagine what it's going on. Okay, so now, now let's go to the next step because this is the most important part. All right. If your physical reality that you have based on this physical life that you have this dream is made up of the experiences that is impregnated on your body and in your mind consciously right mm -hmm. your soul memory is another thing it goes back whatever time that you elected to be in this incarnation for whatever reason now let's show you the division on these things since the body is very physical and we had we just got you making a physical being in a few months for spare parts they said, now we've got the perfect deal. How can we have that work better? Well, if you go to the hospital today and get an encephalogram, what's that? That's the memory of your conscious mind. It's on the CD. Let's download it on this being. Now we've got a walking, talking duplicate that has the total memory that you have because we just took it off of your own mind. Okay. It's like Blade Runner, the android. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The only thing is 
that it's like this uh, DDD, re, re, you know, recorder. Sometimes you have glitches in it, so you have to have them tuned up occasionally or redone. And so we take them to Camp David or there's a wing at Bethesda Hospital to just tell you. There's, if you go down there and check, you'll find the, the nurses, if they're willing to come forth, they'll tell you they work on those people and they call them the others. I thought it was uh, interesting. <laughs> they're people. Remember, these people can think and act, but they don't sure. have soul. That's also prophesized. So right, that's beings. true. That's true. Now, we have another agenda that's going on, so you have to be careful of all this. There are many extraterrestrials that would like to be in on the game right now, so they can sometimes will come into these physical beings that we've made to manipulate them. I see. So now you have a combination effort that you have to look at and discernment. Mm -hmm. You have to discern what the game is. Well, just figure that most of the leaders we have in the world have been bought and paid for or created to think a certain way. And then it was such a hit. It was way bigger than I even anticipated. And now um, I think we're going to make part two. I think you have to. I think you, like, have to. They kill you if you try to walk away. And they clone you. Excellent. Excellent amount of information right there. Now we're going to watch a video called Yemen's Barha Well. It's dark history explored. Very important area of the world, Yemen. When it comes to access to the, the inner Earth. kingdom has a vast tradition that links its royalty to the world of the supernatural. According to folklore, the 6th century Himyarite king Saif ben the Yazan led a full-scale battle between his army and a species of jinn called the Adharid. These were shape-shifting ghouls made from flesh and blood and were very different from the regular jinn who are normally invisible and made from fire. The Adharid normally looks like a wolf but it can change its shape into that of a dog, cat, or any other animal, or even a man or woman. Could these creatures be responsible for the strange sightings and disappearances that have occurred near Barhutwell in modern times? From sightings of abnormally large carnivorous winged creatures to unexplained disappearances. In September 2021, 10 explorers from the Omani Caves exploration team traveled to the neighboring country of Yemen to find the truth behind its legendary Barhutwell. For centuries it has been known by locals as both a geological and supernatural anomaly, serving as an interdimensional station separating our reality from the world of the jinn. Between the Hadramut and Al-Mahara governorates, there have been countless stories across the area going back thousands of years concerning strange deaths, abnormally large birds, and even an Elrich type Lovecraftian anomaly with roots going back to early Islam and Judaism. Up until this time, the well's infamy was primarily only known to regional locals and some long-time followers of the mysterious Middle East. 
However, along with the O-Money team's expedition, came global media attention, as the world wanted to know more about one of the few remaining locations on the planet that had yet to be explored. What did the O-Money's discover? And could there be way more to the story of Barhutwell than what the media is reporting? As the terrorized home to the Ark of the Covenant and the legendary Queen of Sheba, Yemen is literally one of the most mythical and beautiful locations in the world. Before the 2021 expedition, the Barhutwell was famous for giving the impression of being a bottomless pit, where the light of the sun itself cannot penetrate. Till this day, the area has long been home to a steady stream of anomalous activity ranging from cryptid attacks to strange disappearances, with both of these mysteries often being linked to the well. How much can be attributed to an ever-evolving folklore, and how much is genuine is unclear. But as we will show, these stories go back centuries. One famous story from the modern era concerns a shepherd who left her baby in the vicinity of the well, only for it to vanish in a blink of an eye with the child unable to crawl to the edge without first being spotted by its mother. This disappearance has remained unexplained. Other disappearances could be attributed to carelessness, where individuals may have simply fallen to their deaths. Although there have been accounts from the medieval period stating that one villager was attacked by an extremely large winged creature that originated from the well. This story is consistent with more modern-day sightings of several species of large birds occasionally seen emerging from the well that are unknown to the local scientific community. However, none of these flying cryptids have been described as being so large that they can match the description of the earlier encounter. One of the most famous accounts concerning strange animal attacks came during a time when Yemen was enduring a terrible drought. Desperate villagers had tied a rope around the man and slowly lowered him into the well to find water. However, before he had reached the bottom, he screamed to be brought back to the surface. When the villagers had retrieved him, he had already been eviscerated, with the bottom half of his body missing. In Yemeni folklore, Legend says that a team of jinn were instructed by one of the jinn kings, a powerful elemental class of jinn to build the well, for the purpose of capturing and imprisoning evil demons there. Another tradition can be traced back to the Himyarite era, where it was a human king who held influence over the jinn. The Himyarite kingdom was a pre-Islamic civilization. According to lore, one of its ancient Arab kings used the jinn to dig this well in order to hide his treasures. And when he died, his followers from the jinn settled here. And it is for this reason it was called Berhut, 
as the name Barhut in the ancient Hemiaretic language means, the land of the jinn, or the city of the jinn. The Hemiaretic kingdom has a vast tradition that links its royalty to the world of the supernatural. According to folklore, the 6th century Hemiarite king Saif Bendi Yazan led a full-scale battle between his army and a species of jinn called the Adharid. These were shape-shifting ghouls made from flesh and blood and were very different from the regular jinn who are normally invisible and made from fire. The Adharid normally looks like a wolf, but it can change its shape into that of a dog, cat, or any other animal, or even a man or woman. Could these creatures be responsible for the strange sightings and disappearances that have occurred near Barhutwell in modern times? According to Yemeni folklore, the Adharid is attracted by the blood of the dead and is known to appear at the scene of a murder. It will suddenly materialize before a person, bark or growl at him, and then vanish. Historians say these creatures were a corruption of the Greek lycanthropos, or werewolves, while folklore says that their home till this day rests in this part of Hadramut. Prior to the 2021 expedition to the area, several other documented attempts were made to explore the Barhut well, one of which we covered in detail in an earlier episode concerning three researchers from the nearby Hadramut University who were conducting a preliminary survey of the site for National Geographic. Here, the lead researcher was seemingly dragged to his death by an invisible entity that described itself as Doma an ancient figure from both Islamic and Jewish traditions. Although the story is completely unverifiable, encounters with this entity in the area have been referenced multiple times from different sources, with residents even testifying to hearing his disembodied voice echoing his own name across the district late at night. Duma, which in Hebrew means silence, is both an angel mentioned in Jewish and Islamic literature. He is the protector of nearby Egypt and the prince of hell. In the Jewish Kabbalah, it is even said that he had tens of thousands of angels of destruction under his command. While in some Islamic traditions, he is an entity who has authority over damned souls and has long been associated with this well in Yemen. This lore is consistent with the idea that the well can serve as a gateway to a pocket dimension called Barzakh, where the souls of both dead jinn and humans await judgment. Because it is connected to the world of the jinn, this gateway can either remain invisible to us or visually manifest in our reality, presumably by the will of Dukma. Because of this, the location has attracted witches and warlocks who have been known to perform magical ceremonies there, an act which is illegal under Islamic law. This idea that the well could either be an interdimensional access point to Barzakh or a gateway to hell itself has gained popularity due to a foul smell that is sometimes emitted from it 
and the foul-tasting water that can be found in smaller wells across the Hadramut and Al-Mahara governorates. The water is so foul that it was even mentioned by the Prophet Muhammad as something that should be avoided. In our first episode about the Barhud anomaly, we theorized that the entire plateau could be sitting on top of a supervolcano, hence why the water is so bitter in some areas. This volcano has also been connected to a prophecy that speaks of a great fire originating from Yemen that will impact the entire world. In 1894, the geologist Theodore Bent, who after exploring the neighboring areas across Yemen, described parts of the region as sulfuric area and a source of brimstone. There are even independent reports conducted by Yemeni scientists going back decades that states that an active volcano in eastern Hadramaut known as Bir Barhut had erupted in the 10th century and was reported to be still smoking in 1813. More recently, in 2007, several volcanic eruption in Jebel al Island, an eruption that saw a chunk of the area located there sink to the sea. Concerning the well itself, in 2013, according to Al Bayan newspaper, one of the Gulf's leading publications, an attempt was made by a company called Desert Line to record a visual survey of the anomaly. They attached one of their employees to a crane and lowered him into the well, equipped with video cameras to chronicle the descent. However, at only a hundred meters down, the employee screamed to be lifted back to the surface quickly, where he told his colleagues that the geometry of the well had begun to shift unnaturally, closing in on him. Although this can be dismissed as a case of claustrophobia, when his team reviewed the footage he had been recording, they were shocked to see that from the moment he entered into the well, the cameras only recorded a black void, despite there being enough light. Equipment malfunction is a common anomalous occurrence associated with this location. In 2019, the local Yemeni YouTube channel, Hadramut Al-Khair, attempted to send a drone down to explore the anomaly remotely. However, despite the mint condition of their device and the skill of the pilot, the drone refused to go into the hole, as if an invisible force was preventing its descent. It was only in September 2021 where he finally had a successful mission to the bottom of the pit by the neighboring Omanis. Speaking to the media, Mohammed Al-Kindi, a geology professor at the German University of Technology in Oman, stated that the goal of the expedition was to make the first documented study of the sinkhole and provide a scientific explanation for the foul-smelling air rising from the depths of the well. Upon descending into the hole, the explorers reported finding waterfalls, seeing snakes, frogs, and beetles inside the cave system, as well as several dead animals, mainly birds, that appeared to have fallen inside the pit. So does the findings of the team invalidate thousands of years of supernatural lore? Maybe to some extent. Fortunately, None of the Omanis lost their lives during the expedition.
and there were no reported encounters with any strange animals or Lovecraftian type entities. It could be that the entire mystery of the will is the result of hundreds of years stories evolving into what we have today. But given that even in modern times, there have still been odd occurrences that are yet to be fully explained, such as malfunctioning equipment, unsolved disappearances and even strange animal sightings. It should be noted that the exploration team did not report to the media the discovery of any human corpses or bones within the well, although the remains of other animals were found. So the idea that some of the disappearances over the years could simply have been careless humans falling to their deaths becomes slightly questionable. Furthermore, giving the alleged supernatural purpose of the well, acting as a gateway to a world of spirits, should we have honestly expected to openly see into another dimension once a successful mission had been completed? Being an interdimensional gateway, it would make sense that that gateway may not always be visible to the human eye. But what do you think? Over the next few episodes, we will examine anomalous locations further north in Saudi Arabia and Iraq and question how much do we really know about their history and the strange events they are tied to in the modern world. My name is Kayvon. Please like and subscribe and also check out my personal channel in the description box. Okay. Yeah, it looks like we're already getting to the two-hour mark of audio. And like I said before, this is just to kind of highlight the content that is available on this incredible channel that is called The Invisible War. The entire channel is called this, The Invisible War in Dumbs and Underground. And Telegram group at Dumbs, all caps, Dumbs, D-U-M-B-S, and all caps, Underground. Now, here is the quintessential type of audio on the Dumbs phenomenon itself and the invisible wars that are happening underground. This title, and this will be the last one, is called Dumbs Explained by Phil Schneider. Right now, there are 131 active deep underground military bases in the United States. There's 1,477 of them worldwide. Each one has an average cost of 17 to 19 billion dollars. Each one is uh, built in the site of, oh, it used to be, it'd take a year to two years to build each one. And now they're capable of building a couple of them a year uh, with sophisticated methods. My colleague, uh, Al Felix has actually been on some of the high-speed railways, uh, the Magneto-Leviton trains that connect all the deep underground military bases within the United States. He's been on a Mach 2 train and floats off a, floats off a single rail at a, a three-quarters of an inch off the rail and there's a, what we call high-tech. We have nothing like this on the surface. Green Lake is where the infamous Area 51, S4, S2, 
a CIA base uh, uh, it was originally a bombing range, a nuclear test site. Uh, it was later become the most secret base in the United States. Uh, it employs over 18,000 workers who work in shifts at 12 hours at a whack. Most of them work in the cover of darkness, like us. We built out nine underground military bases there, each with an average uh, uh, capacity capable was basically a city underground, roughly four and a quarter cubic miles hollowed out underground. They have boring machines, for instance. They don't bore. They literally vitrify and melt the rock, deflagrate the rock. It's a very sophisticated laser uh, uh, melting and deflagrating system. It reduces the rock to a powder and then melts the, the remaining rock as a coating on the inside of the base, so you don't have to use gunite, cements, and other kinds of things like that. That's all the old hat now. Uh, technology is just, just basically the new technology we get is the old hat of the military. Anyway, after we drilled all four holes, it's about a, two days to drill all four of them. And when you build an underground base, you drill four basic holes, and you build called stokes or cross-member holes across, and you black, use blasting equipment and special blasting equipment by the analyzation of the rock formation, and you literally blast out or tunnel out uh, or deflagrate or melt rock out to build the large rooms that are required for these underground base. I was involved in building another base onto in, inside of Belize, New Mexico, which is Los Alamos Laboratory. It's a biological laboratory on the southwest part of the Archelaida Mesa. Uh, we built an underground facility, about a part of three cubic miles hollowed out underground. Then to the southwest of that, we built, we were, we were in the process of the early stages of building, we drilled four large uh, tunnel-like holes. Some of them ran two and a half miles under the surface. Uh, number the early, at that time, number of the original uh, uh, wells or uh, drilling uh, machines that were used were, were uh, uh, at the rate of uh, two miles a day. Area 51 is only one base, one of the 131 bases. Of these 131 bases, I call Area 51 a mega base. It's got more than one base. It's Tonopah Test Range, Area 51, S2, S4, Groom Lake, and a host of others. Now, these mega bases are gobbling up our gross national product. Right now we're spending 28% of the gross national product on building underground bases sold. That doesn't count for the defense budget. That doesn't count for the spare parts budget. It doesn't count for any of that at all. And the black budget is dead, dead wrong. It sidesteps the United States Congress and its constitution of its people and says you're a bunch of morons you don't need to know. Or well, a need-to-know basis is an executive order written during the Eisenhower era right after the created 1954 treaty and is treasonous and illegal in this country and should be overturned and abolished. All this alien thing is fine, except for one thing. Alien takeover is a serious threat. Kept totally out of the public view, 
off the surface, I'm sure the underground bases, without question, are being used as a form, a place to house alien takeover. Alien takeover means the implementation of a one-world government. Okay, excellent. Now, please definitely go check that page out on Telegram. Check it out on Rumble. And absolutely, thank you very much for catching another broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am Beyond Top Secret Texan, broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. It's my pride and privilege to be doing so, so thank you all very much, listeners new and old alike out there in dreamland. Thank you very much. Keep fighting the good fight. God bless you and your families. Peace out.